This is Until All Are Free. I'm your host, Preston Goff. Today, I want to put a conversation in your ears, in your listening feed, that is a little bit different than what we typically share here on Until All Are Free. My assumption is that you're listening to this podcast because somewhere along the line, you heard about human trafficking and it gripped you. You know, maybe it would even be fair to say that it disturbed you and you felt or feel compelled to act in response. I'm willing to bet that it's pretty likely that you heard a story about another person who was impacted by the crime of human trafficking, and in that human connection that the story created, you were stirred. Those stories can be really sticky, can't they? It's hard to to let go of them, and that's actually a beautiful thing because it continues to motivate us to move, to act, to respond on behalf of another human being. Today on the podcast, I want to invite you into the Exodus Roads process of sharing stories that document our impact in the fight against human trafficking. Today is a look behind the scenes, per se. We have a special guest, Amber Van Schooneveld. Amber is the Senior Director of Marketing here at the Exodus Road. She has an extensive background in nonprofit communications and storytelling, having worked as a managing editor, among other roles, with Compassion International for nearly 13 years. Amber and I work closely together to identify stories from our countries of operation, often stories that you, our supporters, have empowered in order to share those updates and celebrations with your community. Today, Amber and I chat about what it means to commit to ethical storytelling at the Exodus Road and why we have chosen to not use real imagery of survivors from raids in our stories. We also discuss a few particular cases and the challenges or opportunities that they presented to our team at the U.S. office. All of this and more. All right. Well, I want to welcome Amber Van Schooneveld to the podcast here on Until All Are Free. Amber, it's a joy to have you in the same room and to have you on the podcast. I wonder if we can begin um, just by having you introduce yourself and just sharing a little bit about what your professional role here at the Exodus Road is, but also what your professional and personal background has been. Yeah. So my name's Amber. I am a mom of two and a wife. I'm a Colorado native, so I was born and raised here. I love Colorado, doing all things outside. And professionally, I've been in nonprofit marketing for 15 years or so. I started out with Compassion International, is there a good long while? And I always wanted to get more involved in work fighting human trafficking. And so now I'm here at the Exodus Road as the senior um, director of marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Which means, dear listener, that I um, spend my days sharing content with Amber and working closely with her. I also uh, report directly to her. So it's a little bit gutsy but bringing your boss onto the podcast. But I And let me tell you, Preston is really hard to work with. I'm sure you guys can tell if you're <laughs> listeners. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it is a delight to work with you, Amber, and to, to be involved in this work together. And I'm so grateful that you did feel this passion for finding an opportunity to work in the anti-trafficking space. I know I speak for so many of us here that we're honored to to have you with us. So I want to just begin and I want this just to set the expectations for our audience. Like I want 
I want today's conversation to be truly conversational. So I'm hoping that you listener can walk away with a good understanding of just maybe who I am and who Amber is. And then through that, gain an understanding of the way that we tell stories here at the Exodus Road and, and engage in the work of storytelling, engage in the work of marketing, dare I say that evil word, and learn something about the issue of human trafficking in the midst of these conversations. So I want to just kick off by asking you, Amber. Amber, I know you've spent a lot of time traveling um, for your job, traveling around the world, and as have I. And I'm just curious to know, what is one country you visited that you considered living in, and why is that? Yeah, so I have an immediate answer to this. I have only been once, but I love the Philippines. And there's a big expat retirement community there, and I completely understand why, because the people are so warm and welcoming. They're also fun and funny, and it's also just a beautiful country. I remember one of my favorite memories is having Hollow Hollow there on the beach, and recently here at the Exodus Road in our U.S. office, we made Hollow Hollow to celebrate one of our rescues in the Philippines, and so. If you, listener, ever have a chance, go to the Philippines, have hollow hollow. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's like shave ice with all kinds of yummy toppings on it. Yeah, it is delicious. Yeah. I want to know, Preston, where you would live. Yeah, good question. I think I, man, I would probably say one country that I'd consider would be Southwest China, uh, specifically in rural China. I spent a lot of time traveling there. I, I think there would definitely be some difficulties being an expat in China, but I think just in terms of the beauty of the culture, the beauty of the people, the beauty of the landscape and the food, that's a place that's really near and dear to my heart. That's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. Obviously, we've already said, you know, you felt a draw to this work, as did I. For anybody who's involved in this work, one of the things that I'm curious to know is what do you hope that you can leave as a bit of a legacy in the midst of this fight against human trafficking? It's a big question. Yeah, that's a big question. It is kind of audacious to think that an individual can have an impact when it's truly like syndicated, you know, crime that you're going up against. But if you can have even the smallest impact, it's worth it. You know, I think sometimes we look at the huge problem and say, well, there's no way I can end world poverty or whatever the issue might be. And then it defeats us. But instead, if you say, well, I'm going to do all I can and leave breadcrumbs and hopefully in that trail that we leave with our lives, an impact is made. Even if it's just one person or two people or three people, it's worth it. I think for me personally, I would like to leave a legacy of compassion and kindness amongst my family, amongst the people I work with, and then among, uh, with the work I'm doing. I hope that just the act of compassion for other people who are in a difficult situation um, makes a difference in their lives and makes their lives better. And usually we don't necessarily know people who work in nonprofit work but not on the front lines. We don't always know the long-term impacts. And so I think you just trust that the work that you do, that I do as a marketer, does matter to one person. And maybe someday we'll find out what that is or maybe we'll never know, but I still think it's worth the work. Yeah. Well, I'll what, be fair, I'll answer yeah. those questions. Yeah. So, you know, I think it is an audacious statement to say, I can leave my, I can leave a mark. I can have an impact in this fight. 
But I truly think, you know, we say all the time here, justice is in the hands of the ordinary. And I truly, truly believe that the world would be much better if we all believed these audacious beliefs that we could leave an impact on the lives of our neighbors, on the lives of our family members, and on the lives of people halfway around the world. We've talked a lot, um, you and I, at times about like our global responsibility. It is something that we can contribute to as storytellers and as uh, writers and photographers and video makers and podcast hosts and you name it. We, we can encourage and inspire people to have this audacious belief that that they can leave a positive impact on the world around them and on the fight against human trafficking. I think personally for me, when I think about the mark that I hope that I leave, I I hope that as a member of a generation of storytellers helping to proclaim the, the stories of the fight against human trafficking, that we are able to succeed in just overall raising the general awareness and understanding and comprehension of the issue. Because I think there's there's just so much more work to be done in terms of general awareness, but then also comprehension and education. So yeah, I hope that I can contribute to that in some way. All right, so let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about really the topic that I brought you in to discuss today, which is this this topic of ethical storytelling. We can get into it in detail a little bit more, but the Exodus Road has been on a bit of a journey in the last year or so in terms of redefining what our storytelling looks like and the practices that we're going to be committed to. And I wonder if you can just start by defining to you well, what the term storytelling means. I know that's a bit of a buzzword, but what does storytelling encompass in our work? Yeah. So for me, storytelling is so important because one thing with people who work at nonprofits is we love using jargon that no one else ever uses. So we use words like holistic and theory of change, and we can use all these big programmatic terms. But then when you really get down to what matters to people, it's the stories of the individuals impacted. And so for me, storytelling really is a matter of making the work relatable and making it come to life and helping people understand that these are real people. So it's closing that gap of those, you know, 3,000 miles or whatever it is between the person giving money and the person being impacted by that donation. To me, that's what storytelling really is. I've talked to a lot of people involved in this fight, and I often ask them, like, what was the moment do you, do you, did you have a specific moment that you remember that like the light bulb came on for you and you felt this like deep connectedness? Nearly always their response goes something like this. Yes. And I heard the story of so-and-so or I watched this m- movie and it told me the story of so-and-so. It's never like a data-based <laughs> like stat or something like that. Those are helpful for gaining a better understanding of an issue. But it's the it's the connection to humanity that draws people in and I think inspires people to continue in the midst of moments of, of hardship. So in the context of our work at the Exodus Road, what are the kinds of stories that we are actively sharing or seeking to share with our audience? What are the stories that we prioritize? Yeah, well, we, I think, are in a uniquely a unique position because we really have the middle of the story to tell 
when it comes to one person. So there's usually a beginning, a middle, and an end of a story. Yeah. And we really try for our stories to be survivor-focused, so really focused on the individuals who are being impacted by trafficking that are being removed from that situation. But we're in this place where, you know, we don't always have the beginning of the story. Our investigators interview these women and children to learn their stories, but there's only so much they kind of learn during those interviews because they're investigating in order to have you know, the evidence police need. So we have little tidbits there. And then when someone is removed from a situation, that is a really vulnerable moment in their story. And we aren't going to rush in and interview them and take pictures and get the story. Our job is to protect them and ensure they're moved on to the next phase of their story where they're receiving care. And so we don't have the end of the story. Most of the time, the moment of rescue is the middle of the story. It's not yeah. the end of the story. Yeah. And so we're we're just in that unique place. It's amazing to be able to share rescues. They're so exciting, but it is just one part of the story. Yeah. I don't I, know if that's what you were looking for. No, I mean, I think that's part of it. I, I think, you know, one of the the heroes or the the protagonists, if you will, that we do center is the survivor. But but another really are the, you know, the national operatives, the law enforcement, the aftercare partners that we work with that we really consider as heroes because of their commitment to their their own country and their the well being of the the exploited and the vulnerable in their own country. So I think there's a few like key stories that we prioritize. As you've mentioned, though, there's all sorts of complications and challenges as it relates to how we tell those stories because of our commitment to not re-exploiting like a survivor in a moment of rescue. I wonder if we could just spend a minute and discuss how that creates challenges for us as storytellers in this work. I think so often I want to be sharing these stories of survivors that are as open and as vulnerable as possible. But we're also deeply committed to protecting a survivor. And I wonder if you could just help us think through some of the practical implications of what that looks like in in this work. Yeah. Our, as we kind of said before, our starting point with our storytelling is we want to be survivor-centric. And so we don't start with what makes the best story or what will get the most donations. We start with what's actually best for the survivor in this moment. And that leads us to make choices that you might not otherwise make as a storyteller. In this one case, we received a report from our team in India, and it included the picture of a young girl who had been removed from a trafficker. It had been a Romeo trafficker who pretended to be a boyfriend, gained her trust, said, hey, I can get you a really good paying job in this city in India. And when she arrived, it was actually sex trafficking. And so she had been removed from that situation. In the report, we have the picture of the girl during the time of the rescue. And she just looked so young and so innocent. She had been removed from ever actually even being trafficked. They were able to work with law enforcement to remove her the same day. And just seeing that photo of this young girl who was removed from exploitation before it happened was so extremely moving to me. But in that moment, I know I'm not going to share that photo with anyone else because she probably doesn't want that photo out there. Her mom or her family members, they don't want that out there. And even if you blur the face, it's still such a tender moment in this person's life 
that we're choosing to protect and not to share. And so it's a really choice to make. It's a choice we've already made, so we're not making it each yeah. time. We we have this policy in place that we, we're just not going to show the photos of people when they're in this moment of being removed from trafficking. Because if we did share that photo, people would be really moved and they would probably donate, realize the reality of the situation even more. But what's more important to us even than that is protecting this young girl. And so that's always our highest highest priority and our commitment is to that survivor. Yeah, absolutely. And just to be clear on the details of her story, she was exploited exploited to the degree that she was trafficked from one location to another, but was not a victim of sexual exploitation at the moment. Yeah, so she was on the same day about to be sold for the very first time. And then law enforcement were able to arrive there and remove her before she was ever sold. So it was literally the same day that she was going to be um, trafficked for sex the same day. And she was removed from that situation. It's a good distinguishment to say, like, we're not journalists in our storytelling here at the Exodus Road. (laughs) We're really holding that value of being survivor-centric at the forefront of everything that we do. I think as um, creative director... One of the like major challenges that that represents for me is that we have to rely so much on representative content for every story that we share. And as our teams are being highly successful in the field, it, it becomes more and more challenging because it's more and more stories of rescues and interventions that are successful that we have to find a way to storytell using representative imagery. You know, a lot of times, I know you know this, but a lot of times that can mean stock imagery. And when we use stock imagery, we go out of the way to indicate that we're using stock imagery because we want to be clear as our audience sees and, and kind of digest the content that we're sharing. We want to be clear where representative imagery is being used. On the other hand, it also means setting up moments where we can capture and tell stories uh, by shooting representative content in the field. And that has its own unique set of challenges, unique to each context that we work in. And so that's been just a, comp- a complication. But I say that with hesitancy because I think it's it's the right kind of complication and the kind of complexity that we want to be leaning into. And so it's really an opportunity. It's really exciting. Yeah, I think whenever we have those difficulties, it's really helpful to reframe it as an opportunity. So the difficulty is we can't show this photo, but the opportunity is we can lean in to explaining why we can't share that photo. And even that process helps people realize, oh, this is a real girl. This is someone's daughter. And that mom, you know, is so glad to be reunited with her child. And she doesn't want that broadcasted, you know, on the internet. And so... My hope is that we can transform it into an opportunity to make people relate even more to yeah. people's experiences. Yeah, I think that's there's a vulnerability there where as a creator, I really hope that we can train an audience to say, oh my gosh, they're using representative imagery. Well, why are they doing that? Probably because they want to protect the interests of the survivor. And that's beautiful. And I love that this organization does this and I want to lean in with them because of that. Yeah, that's my that's a that's a hope that I have that in our commitment to this practice we can teach a whole community online to see and digest content differently and and desire different content actually altogether. Yeah. Um, as a as a consequence of our work. Yeah, it's part of educating ourselves and educating the people who follow us as we're each learning more as we're continuing to do this work. Mm-hmm.
So I want to segue a bit and talk specifically then about some of the practices that I would say are like, don't do this practices in this space. Before we even get there, I do want to throw out a caveat, which is that we are not the expert practitioners of this yet. We we have certainly done work at developing guidelines and guiding our storytelling and work here at the Exodus Road in, in this space into, into what we consider good practices. That said, so many of the cases that we interact with do bring up like new things to consider sometimes, and we're always learning, always growing. But I wonder if you might just help highlight maybe some of the practices, maybe practices that people wouldn't even think about as being challenging or as being helpful that we've implemented in this space and maybe some of the like absolutely don't do this practices that you would discourage? Yeah. I think this is true for all kinds of nonprofits and not just ones that are working to fight human trafficking, but it's the issue of who you're portraying as the, the hero of the story or who is the main character. And I've been to so many conferences where they say, always make the donor the hero. And I completely think our donors are heroes. So many of them are sacrificing in order to make a difference. But what can happen when nonprofits tell stories that are centered on the donor is we often portray the people who are being helped as helpless, as if they have no agency. And particularly in this context of people who've been exploited through human trafficking, it can almost be like we're using them again as this prop of someone who's helpless that a donor has come in and and saved. And so we always want to champion the role of the donor and the role of our investigators. And at the same time, let the survivor be the main character of their own story. We never want to portray people as helpless or without agency. Our senior writer, Mary Nichol, is so amazing at this because her heart is to always write in a way that honors that survivor. And so she does an amazing job with this. But I think it's, it's really easy as marketers to use that really easy story trope. But long term, it's just not healthy in terms of the way we're portraying people. Yeah. And I'd say it actually... It robs the donor of the the actual story as well. When storytellers lean too heavily into centering the donor as hero, because it it chokes out any room for you to actually like see and feel and read and and connect deeply with this human halfway across the world whose story is valuable and and whose story matters. So I think that that's beautiful. One way I like to think about it is. It's powerful to think you're a hero, right? But it's even more powerful when you think of yourself as a peer Mm -hmm. to the people you're helping. Instead of having this like, oh, you poor thing, I'm helping you out. Realizing this is a peer, this is another human who I could have, you know, been in their same situation. When you have that relationship, you relate to the person more. They seem more real to you versus if you just think of them as some abstract stand-in for a victim, here at the U.S. office in our marketing communications teams, I've really appreciated the way that these new guidelines have allowed us to open up new conversations with our field teams. And um, I think just just really healthy communication of what's taking place and, and how we can amplify the good work that they're doing. I think about, you know, last fall, we really 
decided that we wanted to take a run at representative storytelling in a way that had never been done here at the Exodus Road. And so we worked with our Latin American team to tell the story of Daniela, which if you haven't had a chance to see, I will link in the podcast notes and you can go and watch the video and, and read all about Daniela's story. But Daniela was a young girl who was actually being exploited in a Latin American country. And our teams had been working for years to build a case that they could deliver to law enforcement that would motivate law enforcement to move on her behalf and rescue her from that exploitative scenario. She was 14 when she was trafficked from her home country of Venezuela. And so she was she was 16 at this point last fall. And we started to build this case and we wanted to tell it openly. Anytime you tell an active case, it's very vulnerable, right? Because truthfully, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We don't know if Daniela is going to be rescued from the situation. We, we, we haven't seen the next scene of the story yet. And so that was vulnerable, but we had this great opportunity as a team to, to meet with our global teams and, and source information from them that would give credence to this representative story to, to share with us what is the location that she's being held look like? How many other young women or uh, men are present at the site? How many victims of exploitation are present? What does she physically look like? And can we potentially identify an actor or an actress, an an actress in this case, that would look like Daniela? And so that was a really fun exercise for us. And actually, I don't think I've ever told this story to anyone on the podcast. I know I haven't, but on the day that I arrived, there was a raid by police and we would later learn that Daniela was successfully rescued. And it was this great moment that we were able to, together with our team, celebrate Daniela, celebrate their good work and the good work of law enforcement, but celebrate Daniela. And I think it was the fact that we together became storytellers with our with our international office in this specific case that made that celebration so unique and so fun. Yeah, and we were also able to invite our donors into the story while it was in process. Yeah. Because so often you're telling people the end of the story, like, this, hey, this person has been rescued. But in this case, we didn't know the end of the story. And like Preston said, we didn't know what was going to happen. Sometimes our investigators look into a case and they interview people and then the the women and children are moved. And yeah. so we didn't know if that was going to happen. And so it it was such a neat experience to develop this story and then begin telling the story because we had even begun telling the story before that. Yeah. And then in the middle of it, be able to say to our donors, hey, she's been freed. And the timing was so wild because we thought, are people going to think we're making this up? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just a marketing ploy, but it wasn't. So it was really neat to be able to kind of communicate real time about this person we'd been sharing about and, and helping, hoping that people would connect to and realize is this real girl yeah. who exists, who we're trying to remove yeah. from trafficking. And then to be able to say, hey, we we got her. Yeah. So, yeah, that was extremely meaningful and moving. Well, and I think to, to bring it back to the ethical storytelling conversation, you know, I, I know one of the questions <laughs> that, that was on the mind was, will potential donors and supporters be as motivated by a Daniela who's free as a Daniela who's not, who's in, in exploitation. And ultimately, the ethical storytelling decision is, doesn't matter. Daniela's free, and the story we're going to tell is the true one. And we're going to rally our people around this great celebration that, oh my gosh, like, you've been following this story, and up to this point, like, 
it, we've been truthfully telling you Danielle has been in exploitation, but the whole story just changed on us. And how exciting is this? And in this case, our team has uncovered a larger syndicate of traffickers and they're going to go after them, but we need your help, your help to do that. And, and that was a really cool pivot for us as a team. Challenging, but really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was really exciting. And I, I agree. It is, it's always scary to tell in the story tell this story in a way that you're like, oh, that this might diminish people's desire to give. But at the same time, it's what's right. And it's what will build people's trust in us. And like you said, being able to then say, hey, our investigators have had this one success. You can be part of that next success in continuing to go after this, this group. Yeah. All right. So for the listener... I want to know how can they help support organizations like the Exodus Road, like maybe they follow IJM or Hope for Justice in the work of storytelling, in broadcasting the good work that that these organizations are doing to combat human trafficking. I think back to what you said earlier about storytelling, when people who talk about what got them involved is like one story that was really meaningful to them. When you look at people who are committed to a cause, it's usually people who have a personal connection. So I would say one of the best things people can do is actually just be talking to their friends or their family about, hey, I've learned about this situation. I heard this story. It's been so meaningful to me. And bringing them along that journey, actually, just through making it a part of your life in terms of what you care about and what you're talking about can actually make the biggest difference. Just being a an advocate amongst the people around you and raising that awareness. It's easy for me to think that, oh, everyone kind of knows about this issue now, but a lot of times there's people who they might know about it, but not that much. Mm. And you can really be someone who helps to educate the people around you and helps them learn how they can get involved too. Yeah. You know, really practically, I think, especially if you're consuming media on social media, Simple things like slowing down and really engaging with a piece of content that an organization puts out is so helpful. Click the links, save them if you're on Instagram, share them to your story. Notice if an organization is using representative imagery because that probably indicates that they're thinking really deeply about the way that they're telling stories. I think just generally (laughs) slowing down and engaging with that content in a really meaningful way is one way that you're going to help boost and amplify their work. You're going to help us cheat the algorithms, uh, specifically as organizations telling stories on social media. Um, And then, you know, obviously, like, I know the question I asked was, how do you support the work of storytelling? Well, well, one way that you do that is by donating as well and, and empowering continued storytelling and continued success. And I think that can't be discounted. You know, we... Our, we tell our search and rescue community on the regular that this rescue was literally made possible by you. And and the truth is it's it's 100% true. Like the search and rescue community at the Exodus Road sustains the work of investigation. And none of those stories are are going to be continuing to occur without without that community. So Yeah, and it it's such a great opportunity to get involved in the work. Because when I think of myself, I do not have the skills to remove someone tra- from trafficking. Yeah. That is not my skill set whatsoever. And I don't know how to do it. 
and I would be the last person in the world you would probably pick to do that. But I know that just donating can seem like you're not doing something, but actually that is an amazing way that you're enabling people who do have the expertise, the training, the qualifications to be doing this work with law enforcement. Yeah. This really, Trauma really- Trauma-informed, survivor-centric intervention. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not easy work. No. It's really hard work. And so it's such an honor to be able to be generous in order to enable people to do that work that we ourselves can't do. And it's it's an opportunity, really, to be able to be a part of a community that we couldn't do on our own. Yeah. Personally, to kind of wrap up, what keeps you inspired and encouraged in this work? I know a lot of people ask me that. As a storyteller in this work, we see and encounter and engage with really heavy content sometimes. I know you do as well. So what keeps you motivated? Yeah, it it is hard because human trafficking isn't a nice, happy topic or a place to live. It's it's gross and it's dark. And so it's hard to want to immerse yourself in something that's dark, right? I think for me, it's just realizing that change is happening. I recently, we received a report from a, a police officer in Brazil, and he said that he was able to realize that this particular young woman had been trafficked when in the past he wouldn't have realized it. But he received training from the Exodus Road in Brazil on what trafficking is, how to recognize it, what to do if you see it. Um, And before he wouldn't have thought that that this girl he encountered was trafficked, he probably would have thought she was a prostitute. But he was able to see the signs and make sure that she was removed from the hands of a criminal. And so for me, that is so huge because that has ripple effects. When you are educating and training law enforcement, it will make such a huge long-term difference. And this was a, a police officer who wasn't familiar with human trafficking. He he hadn't learned about it previously in his training. So that for me is so exciting and it tells me change is possible and we can be a part of it. Man, not to steal your response, but I, I feel the same. I mean, I think when I hear reports of raids that had successful arrests as well, and then we get news later about prosecutions, it it reminds me that this work that we do extends far beyond even the moment of rescue. And yes, like the survivor is center to this story and we, we continue to show up for the exploited. But I'm so grateful that the work that we do has these ripple ramifications that are undoing a system, making it more dangerous, making it less culturally acceptable in some instances. Obviously, I, I mean, I love hearing stories of aftercare and repatriation and, and these um, redemptive stories. I also really love seeing an entire system undone by our work and, and seeing the ripple effects of that. I love that we're working in the Philippines now, where if you look at their progress in the last like two decades, the, the Philippines has made significant strides towards the issue. And it's this it's this country where you can look in and you can see actually a commitment to this work and in the same direction really does make an impact. For those of you that don't know, like the, the Philippines used to be a, a tier two uh, classified country in the U.S. trafficking persons uh, report and, and indicators 
but they are now tier one because of the amount of progress that they've made in this fight. And is there more work to be done? Absolutely. That's why we're there. But it's encouraging to me to know, hey, like, we're not the only ones in this space. We work hand in hand with with others. And we together might actually be able to to make large impacts on, on this in our lifetime. Yeah. So... Amber, it's great to work with you, as I said. It's great to have you leading and and helping the Exodus Road to think in critical ways about what it means to be survivor-centric and and survivor-informed in our storytelling. I'm so glad. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it was great to be here. And if I can just say one thing to all the listeners, thank you guys so much for your dedication to continuing to learn about this issue to continue um, donating and being generous with what you have so that you can make a difference on the lives of other people because it really does matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of Until All Are Free. Until All Are Free is a podcast by The Exodus Road, a nonprofit with a vision for a world in which humans are never bought, sold, or exploited. We disrupt the darkness of modern-day slavery by partnering with law enforcement to fight human trafficking crime equipping communities to protect the vulnerable, and empowering survivors as they walk into freedom. You can learn more about our work by visiting theexodusroad.com. This podcast is hosted by me, Preston Goff, and the music you've heard on the intro and outro was produced and generously donated by City of Sound. Listen, if you'd like to support Until All Are Free, one of the best ways you can do so is by taking time to rate and review us. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we are nearly at 100 reviews and you could be our 100th. Your feedback really helps.